The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. We kind of started our Pathways series that we're going to be in for the next several weeks throughout the, this month. And uh, Pathways is the way that we've kind of put together um, uh, a tool for you and me to grow intentionally in our faith. Um, so it's really not enough for me to stand here and tell you to grow. And it's not enough for you to sit out there and say, man, I wish I would grow up. Um, we wanted to make a way, uh, a pathway for you to intentionally follow, to grow up in the Lord, to mature in the Lord. And so last week we talked about waiting for, the, for Christ and whether that's waiting for him to come again or waiting for him personally, because again, death um, is undefeated at this point for us, um, physical death. So there's a day we're going to meet Christ. And as we're waiting for that day, we want to be prepared. Uh, we want to be ready for that. And so we want to do that with anticipation and preparation on purpose. So as a church, we've identified these nine areas. And if you were to come into our church or join our church um, and go through our, our uh, membership classes, you would hear about these things. I'm just going to throw them out. I think we have them on the screen. I'm going to throw these things out. We call them growth goals. These are the areas of your spiritual lives that we want to see you grow up in and mature in, okay? Uh, to be a convert. So some of you are sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ. The most important thing you can do is to come to know him, to really truly be converted to the way of Jesus, to the life of Christ. Um, and so that's the very first thing we would want people to do would be to evaluate themselves and see if they truly are a follower of Christ and uh, trusting in him for their salvation. Secondly is just growing. That's the most generic one we've got. Uh, we want you to grow. We want you to mature. We want you to develop um, in your spiritual walk. Being missional, we're not going to talk about that. But we want you to walk out of here understanding that everything you do is to be touched and tainted and colored by your walk with Jesus Christ. So being missional, being a giving person, not just financially, but with your whole lives. Praying, making that a priority, making a conversation with God uh, sort of an ongoing thing for you throughout the day and the week. Being committed, being in, right? Some of our, our, our issues with spiritual growth is that it's just a hobby or it's something on the periphery. It's not something that we're really committed to. So we're calling you to be committed. We want you to grow into commitment. Loving. Today we're going to look at loving. We're going to spend a lot of time on, on loving today. Discipling. Uh, bringing people underneath your wing to say, hey, I'm following Christ and I think you're following Christ. Let's follow Christ together. Right, And let me give you a little bit of what God's given me. Let me show you a little bit of what God's shown me throughout my life. So discipling somebody else and then worshiping, uh, being true worshipers. Again, not just in our words and not just in what we do here on Sundays, but throughout the week, making committed choices to worship Christ all the time. So these are the nine areas we've identified that we want all of us to grow up in and to mature in, in our walk. Today we're going to spend like on loving community. That's the thing we're going to spend a lot of time on today is loving community. In the back, you're going to see there's a table back there. It's got an iPad hooked up to it. There's all kinds of resources. I do feel like part of my job, my responsibility for you is to idiot-proof Christianity. Can I, can I be not mean about that, but just to make it as simple and approachable as possible. 
okay? So you're looking at those nine things, and you're like, man, that's a lot. I don't even know where to get started on that stuff. I think we're at seven of them now. Seven of them, I think we have identified a specific path for you to follow. So if there's something on the screen and you're like, man, I really want to grow in that area, you're going to go to that table back there before you get out of here, and you're going to pick up a slip of paper that looks like this, and on that it's got the discipline or the growth that we want you to grow in. This is the loving one. And then it's going to have some resources on the table. Then it's going to point you to some other resources. Then it's going to give you some very practical ways to go and live that out. So again, my job is to just idiot-proof it, all right? I'm trying, here it is, Johnny, okay, here you go. Just go try this, and I think you'll grow. You don't have to do all of it. Just because you read a book doesn't mean that you've necessarily grown in Christ. But I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. Does that make sense? So you can argue with me all day long about I don't read and I don't want to watch a video and I don't want to do that. But I still like my way of trying to follow Christ better than your way of not trying at all. So I I think that's what that table is, right? It's the idiot-proof table. (laughs) We're just trying to make it as possible and as approachable for you as possible. On the back table there are today for loving community, and these are new back there, um, about community and growing up with each other. This is life together. Some of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, This is the one that will hurt your brain. I'm just telling you, it's thin. Don't be fooled. This is a tougher read. It's fantastic. This is one of those seminal books I think all Christians should read at some point in your lives. Okay, so Life Together, it's on the table back there. This is Larry Crabb called Connecting, and it's about how being in community helps us be healthy um, as believers, as human beings. And so both of those are back there on the table. Go back there, man, just avail yourself of that stuff and all of the other resources that we have back there, all right? So again, today we're going to talk about community, probably how community works inside of our church, this church in particular, and churches in general. And as we started this, as I was thinking through this, I couldn't think of anybody better uh, to quote uh, or to bring into this conversation the thinker and the theologian, Justin Bieber. Do we have Justin's picture here? (laughs) Justin Bieber, right? We're not going to leave it up long, ladies, so get a quick look, all right? Justin Bieber, let let me quote you what he said. This was in 2015. He said, Christians leave such a bad taste in people's mouths, even myself. I was like, I'm not going to go to church. It doesn't make you a Christian just by going to church. I think that going to church is fellowship. It's relationship. It's what we're here on earth to do, to have this connection that you feel there's no insecurities. I think that's where we need to be. Like I said, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Now, this is the theological part. If you go to Taco Bell, that doesn't make you a taco. Thank you, Justin. Believers in the audience are like, yes. I think he echoes a lot of people. I think his voice is the voice of a lot of people, not just his generation, but just a lot of people in general. That, that we as believers, those of us who say we are following Christ, we leave a bad taste in people's mouths. Um, and our, what we say is our family. We use this language, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family. We don't look like that a lot, and we certainly don't act like that a lot. And I think when we don't do that, and quite frankly, I would say also when we don't make community a high priority on our list, that we leave a bad residue behind us that people catch on very quickly and they pick up on very quickly and it's not very attractive. So I do think he kind of has that part of it right. So what is he on to? He's on to this, that going to church can be an empty exercise. 
that sitting in this room, singing songs, standing up, sitting down, maybe perhaps bowing your head, listening to Jimmy read a poem, it can all be an empty exercise. Me standing up here preparing notes, it can ultimately just not mean anything, right? So I do think he's on to something there that you can potentially have a Sunday morning church experience that just doesn't do anything. It doesn't go anywhere. Now, I'm not ready to point the the finger at me or Jimmy about that. I think a lot of that has to do with how you're coming in and how you're prepared and what you're looking for when you come in here. But it is possible for us to come to church and make it something that doesn't really matter very much. The essence of our church is practically captured best in the people that we come to get to know and that we love in Christ. I think he's got that right. The best part of Christianity on this planet is probably best captured in the people that we come to know who love Jesus the way we do. I don't remember much about a disciple now that I attended when I was 15 years old. But the people, my leaders, the people who spoke into my life, the kids that I grew up with, I remember that, right? The relationships that we build through these other people that come to know Jesus Christ, that love Christ the way that we do— That kind of captures Christianity for a lot of us, and I think it ought to in very many ways. So I think Bieber is right about those things. What's he wrong about? A bad church or bad churches don't take away from our place in the bride. I still have a a, a place of service, a place of meaning, a place of belonging in the bride of Christ. Just because there's a bad church or bad churches doesn't take away from the fact that I am a member of the body of Christ that there is some place for me to belong and some place for me to fit in and some place for me to give and to serve in the best way that I can through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't take away my need for other parts of the body. There are bad churches out there. There are bad pastors out there. There are bad church people out there. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I need people in my life, that I need people speaking into my life and supporting me and that I can live life with. So it doesn't take away from those things. It doesn't take away from me having a a weekly church experience that helps me grow and gives me an opportunity to kind of speak into other people. So bad churches and bad churches experience, but bad church experiences don't just totally negate and take away all of the things that we kind of need from church and from this community. So I think it echoes a lot of things. So that's that whole thing of like, um, I like, I like Jesus, but I don't like religion. I think that's an intellectual cop-out. I think it's a theological travesty, okay? But I get where they're coming from. I understand where they're coming from, right? I think some of that is, we talked about it, it's they've had poor representation of Jesus Christ. There is a not-to-be-named auto parts store here, not too far away, not next door, but a place I took my car two years ago, and the manager just treated me like dirt. It was awful. This 20-year-old kid was treating me like I was a 10-year-old, you know? And it was really, really bad. I haven't been back. I still get my oil changed, and I still have work done to my car, but I didn't go back to that one. The fact that he was a jerk or that we had a bad experience together doesn't negate the fact that I need people to work on my car, and I need people to speak into my life about what's wrong with my car, what's best for my car. Same thing is true with church. Bad representation doesn't make the thing itself bad. Are you all catching on here? So that's one thing. He said poor representation of church. And then secondly, a poor understanding of community in the church family. And I think that's what I really want to kind of talk into today and speak into today. That sometimes I think we give a bad representation of the church and community because we, and, and, and we experience that badly because we have a poor understanding of what community is supposed to be like. 
So I really want to kind of speak into that part of this uh, conversation today. So why don't we invest in church? Why don't we invest in a loving community? Not just being here on Sunday morning, but truly investing ourselves um, in a loving community of believers. Why is that? And I want to talk about a couple reasons why we don't, and then get into the New Testament reasons, I think, some uh, of why we should. So first, I want to talk about a couple reasons why we don't. One of those, I think, is we live in a world of social media. So I'm not going to bang on Twitter or, or, or you know, uh, Facebook or anything like that right now. That's not the point. Here's the point about that that I think matters in this conversation. We want to see ourselves and we want to see other people and we want other people to see us in a particular way. In a very specific way. There is a particular image of ourselves that we promote socially and we need people to see us that way. And we're kind of fooled that that thinking. What we can prove to you now sociologically is that if you take our children who are growing up with these electronic devices in their hands and they're growing up on social media, what we can now begin to prove to you is that they begin to think that a fulfilling community comes the way it does online. That real life human interaction in their minds should reflect the way we interact with each other on social media. There's this unreal expectation that we sort of create in our heads and in our hearts when we think about community, and it's being driven in a lot of ways by all the social platforms that we have. There's an illusion of intimacy, an illusion of intimacy. Just curiously, how many of you have a Facebook account? Just pop your hands up. You're not bad. Jesus is okay with it, all right? We have Facebook accounts, okay? How many of you have over a hundred friends. You have more than a hundred friends. Just pop your hands up, okay? I'm just gonna, not, this isn't a competition. 300? Anybody have over 300? 500. I'm gonna go big. A thousand. One thousand. The most popular person in the church, center of the church here. Now, outside of your first 100, how many of them do you know? <laughs> really, really know. Outside of your 50, do you really, how many of those people do you know at all anymore? There's this illusion of intimacy that we can build online, and we expect that to happen a lot of times in real life. Because I have brushed up against you in church, because I kind of recognize your face that you're here sometimes. Oh, we go to church together. We're family. It's an illusion of intimacy. And we've allowed that illusion to kind of bleed itself into the rest of our social lives. Our idea of community is kind of tainted by that illusion. Some of us are trying to live Christian community like that. We show up here for worship. We show up here for ministry. We show up here for service. But we're going to maintain community cut off from this place. I go to worship at this particular box, and I go to serve at this particular box or from this particular box, but the people I live life with are not here. They're somewhere else. We maintain community, not with the people that we're here saying that we're going to live our lives with, but with some other different group of people. I think the question for some of us is, i got to integrate these parts of my lives. I have to integrate these people that I give my life to, and I've got to integrate these with these people that I want to worship Jesus with, and I want to serve him with. It's somehow or another, I've got to integrate those two things. Of course, sin makes all of this very difficult. 
Jesus was part of the Trinity. He lived in eternal, which is, I can't understand, community with the other parts of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's a communal God. We are created in his image. We're called to live life like that. We're redeemed. Not only are we just created in his image, we're recreated in the image of Christ. And we're doubly created in the image of God in some ways. And so we're intended to live this life in community with other people. But again, sin comes in and makes it very difficult. Sin makes community difficult. It makes our understanding of community difficult. My desire for community always isn't where I want it to be. It seems to ebb and flow. Sometimes community is painful. Some of us have been hurt in Christian church communities. But here's what I would say again, just like it would be deadly to you to avoid all sin because you got food poisoning one time. It would be disastrous to your Christian health, to your spiritual walk, for you to reject community because you were hurt in a church one time. And yet that's where many of us land. That's where many of us fall because we've had poor experiences, poor representation, or maybe ourselves behaved poorly in Christian community before. So I just encourage you, challenge you, that community isn't something that you create. It's not something that you make. It's not something that you, a product that you're seeking to have in your life and to use for your benefit. Community is like an environment that we should live in. It's the environment, the atmosphere that we should be living in. And here's the other thing I want you to understand about Christian New Testament community. It preaches the gospel. There's a strange group of people that should have no business getting together for any other reason other than Jesus Christ loved all of us and called us to be into his people together. That's the gospel. There's a strange group of people. We have grace for the journey. We're going to give grace to each other. Jesus died to redeem a people, not a person. We've so individualized that. He died to redeem a people. And there should always be this mentality of like an empty chair right in your community in your community group, in your expression of community, there's always somebody else to welcome in. There's always somebody else who needs to be loved on. There's always somebody else that might have something I need. There's always somebody else that I can serve. Christian community has these mentalities about it that flow directly out of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So sometimes it's this whole image thing that we've got in front of us, and then sometimes here's the other reality. Here's the truth of it. Christian community, I think real community, once you pass like 19 years old, community takes work. It takes work. And, and there's no, I'm not even going to apologize for it. It takes work. I can remember back into my high school friends, the guys that I grew up with from the time I was probably 12 till we moved away from home after we were married. They were in my wedding. And so either late high school or early college, we just all got our noses bent badly at each other and were really, really ugly toward one another. And I just remember now the tough work that it took to straighten all that stuff out. Even after years of going through a lot of life together as young men, how hard it was to rebuild some of those relationships in the ensuing months after we were really ugly with one another. And Tyler, we had some friendships that were lost, some were that we rebuilt over misunderstandings and unresolved church conflicts. I can tell you as a pastor, and this isn't a woe is me moment, I just want to tell you, some of you are like, you're just above this. As a pastor, I can't tell you how many times. I've been, if I told you some of these stories, you would laugh and cry. 
How many times I've been the object of ugly words and betrayals and abandonment and lost friendships? Because I'm a pastor. I can't tell you how many times I've done that. And I'm still standing wounded. I've got bandages and scars and all that stuff. And I stand in front of you and I tell you community is worth it. Community is hard work. Community is commitment. But loving people well and being loved in return is worth every bit of it. It's worth working hard for it. Sometimes we get so hurt that we just want to turn everything off, right? People abandon us. They disappoint us. They maybe even attack us. And we just want to shut it all down. I ran across this great author, Christine Hoover, and she said this. She says, sometimes when the wound is especially deep, Our tendency is not just to write the friend off, but also to write friendship off. We're hurt so badly that we give ourselves over to cynicism, bitterness, and resentment, and we wonder if friendship is worth the risk of wading through the emotions and the hurts, attempting reconciliation, making ourselves vulnerable again. We are friendly and sociable at a safe distance, but heart-level friendship, it is too hard and too risky And it never quite lives up to our exacting wish dreams. With that ideal view in mind, it's far too easy to feel insecure about or frustrated with reality. We have a very unrealistic view in the church. So I'm doing all this premarital counseling right now with kids, young people, men and women. Sorry, young people in our church. And I've got more coming up in the next year. And here's what I've found over the years. When our church rats get married, our kids that have grown up in the church, they have an exceptionally unrealistic view about sexuality and the institution of marriage. There's this white ivory tower that these things have been set on that are so unrealistic, they're unattainable by anybody. And we do the same thing with community and relationships in the church. We set it up as some idealistic, once we get into the church, everybody is perfect and no one will ever hurt me again mentality. And we set expectations relationally for people that nobody can ever reach. And we baptize it and we step, you know, put verses of scripture on it. And we say, that's the ideal. And yet nobody can ever reach it. So we're forever disappointed. And at some point or another, that gets tiring. And we're going to shut it down. And we're not going to pursue that anymore. Because it's a goal that we can't ever get to. Right? So she's kind of talking about that in this uh, this quote that, that we just read. That there's this idealism that doesn't leave any room for hurt or pain in Christian relationships, um, that is, makes it impossible to do. So I would say this. I would say that meaningful, fulfilling Christian relationship requires commitment and perseverance. Those aren't if things go bad. That's not the toolkit you pull out when things don't work. That's in the setup. That's in the IKEA instructions. Commitment and perseverance, right? You got to have those two things from the very beginning. You don't pull them out when things get bad or hard in a relationship. They start the relationship. You got to have any relationship worth having is worth those two things. Commitment and perseverance. Having to deal with our hurts biblically, forgiving each other, Crossing uh, life boundaries. You know, there's boundaries that keep us from relating well to each other, whether that's economic or status of life, stage of life kind of a thing. We want to cross those things. We want to refuse to judge people and quickly put people in categories. That all happens in Christian community. 
We have to push through discomfort. And we've got to refuse to give up on people. There are great blessings for the person that seeks that kind of community. If you really seek this kind of deep Christian community, man, the blessings that can come your way are really unbelievable. Or I can continue to just cling on to false ideas about what Christian, Christian community ought to be like and continue to force them on every relationship that I have and be disappointed over and over again when those relationships don't match up. I actually think that some of this is a pagan view of relationships because didn't Jesus say, blessed are, those, blessed are you when you pray for those who abuse you and spitefully misuse you? And he looks at him and said, all you do is love the people that love you. Isn't that exactly the way the pagans love? And some of us come into church and we're like, I am waiting for somebody to love me the way that I want to be loved. Isn't that a pagan view of love? At some point or another, aren't we supposed to lay ourselves down and sacrifice ourselves and get out of our comfort zone and be intentionally uncomfortable to get into people's lives and just love each other? Isn't that a Christian view of love, guys and girls, right? But I think so many of us have just, we've either set up a bar up here that's way too hard we'll never reach, or we've brought in a pagan view of what Christian relationships ought to be. And neither one of them is the goal we're supposed to be aiming at. They're both very disappointing at the end. We've got to be careful about both of those things. A lot of us have just determined that this is way too much work. I'm just going to come to church. I'm going to sing a song. I'm going to stand up. I'll give some when Pastor Joe asks, and I'm going to walk out of here because loving people is too hard and being in community is too difficult. Those are the reasons I think a lot of us come in here and struggle with community. Some people are naturally drawn to it. They get it, they love it, they want it, and there's a large group of us that for lots of reasons, this is a struggle, man. We wrestle with this idea. We don't even like this part of, Christian commun of Christianity, right? We wish it would kind of go away. So now we want to talk about not just our struggles, but maybe New Testament reasons why, Jesus reasons why, I think, we're supposed to be pursuing uh, Christian community. What's a realistic view? What's a realistic goal? If I'm not supposed to be aiming at those things, what can I aim toward? That is a realistic thing. So let's talk about that. Look in Colossians. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it up on the screen. But Colossians chapter 3. It's in the New Testament. Just kind of go to the right and keep going. It's a little book, and you'll get there, okay? Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing in thankfulness in your heart to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Why should we seek loving community in a local church? The first thing Paul says here is because you're chosen. You're a chosen people. You're a chosen people called out to be holy. So here's what we should do, man. We should exercise. When you're thinking about what church should I go to, what, what church should I be a part of, you ought to discern um, and exercise some discernment when you're choosing a church family. But here's the other thing you need to remember about church and, and, and community and loving community in churches. 
Looking for a church is not like shopping for a car or picking a cereal or browsing through Netflix for a movie. And we've reduced it to that. We have a list of what it offers and the pros for me and then cons and what it doesn't have. And we make decisions on church and community based on those things. Seeking a church community isn't based on these things. We attend a church and we give ourselves to community because God sovereignly chose us to be a part of his people. That's why we do it. I'm going to boil it down to the simplest, most base reasons, a reason why we're supposed to give ourselves to each other in community. It's because God chose us to be a part of his people. God chose us to be a part of everyone that you see around you and more, the church universal. And I understand that. My theology is not limited to this group of people. I get it. But you're going to go to church somewhere. You're going to attach yourself to some group of people. And the reason I give myself to community and not just attending a church is because God has called me to be a part of his people. And he sovereignly chose me to do that, to be, a people that I, to be with the people that I love and to be a part of his family. Even when I didn't deserve it, he chose me to be a part of that. So that's one reason why, because we're chosen to be a part of that. Theologian D.A. Carson said this, and I love this. He said, the church is made up of natural enemies. The church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ, and we owe him a common allegiance. I love that. Christians come together because we've been saved by Jesus Christ, and we owe him a common allegiance. We are a band of natural enemies who love one another for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. That's who we are. That's what the point of Christian community is, is that, that God has chosen us to be his representatives to each other across every boundary you can imagine and to commit ourselves into, into loving community with one another. And some of you are like, man, Pastor Joe, I hear everything you're saying, but do you have any idea how messed up these people are? <laughs> have you gotten to know any of these people in the church? This, you know, that kind of thing. They are messed up people. Yes. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. I know a lot of the stories in this room and some that I've just said I don't want to know anymore. We are messed up people. Here, here's what I want you to understand about Christian community. What we'll, we're not going to do here, okay? I can't speak to every, every group, but here, here's what we're not going to do about your brokenness. We're not going to vilify people who are broken, and we're not going to elevate people who are broken. And I think churches commonly fall into one of those two mistakes. They cast out people who are broken, or they elevate the broken story. And I don't want to do either one of those things because I don't think they're healthy. In our brokenness and in our community, you're not going to be removed from fellowship. And it doesn't give you a place of extra attention either. We're so afraid. We are so afraid in our churches to speak into people's brokenness. And to let broken people speak into us. So we put up walls and we keep people at arm's length because we're afraid of all of our ugly nastiness kind of coming out on each other sometimes. Now here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Our communities and our life groups, where we express this a lot, they are not a place where this is all we do. It's not like some kind of 12-step program, okay? If you go to a life group here, you don't have to worry about, hey, my name's Joe, and 
practice last week. You know, we don't have to, that's not what we do. You don't get tokens, you know, and all that kind of stuff, all right? That's not what we're trying to accomplish in our life groups. But I think what we want to do, we want to have this environment where if you walk in and you're broken, it's okay and it's safe and we're going to work on things together and we're going to pursue Christ together in our brokenness. And that when you speak truth into me and you say it a little bit ugly, it's because you're broken and I'm going to receive that from you in your brokenness. We're not going to vilify broken people. We're not going to elevate broken people. We're going to walk together in our brokenness. Amen? That's Christian community when we do this. So just in these verses that I read a second ago, you're like, what does that look like? Here's what he says. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Love one another. Be in unity with each other. Be at peace and speak peace into each other. Be one body with each other. Be thankful for each other. That's just in these verses that we read. That's what Christian community looks like. I can't do these things. Half of them deal with brokenness and coming into a relationship with each other where we're not perfect. 47 times in the New Testament, 47 times in the New Testament, there is some kind of command or directive about one another. So we call them the 47 one another's. There's three of them that are here in this text. I don't think you can experience the full wonder of the sanctuary fellowship, and I think it's a wonderful place to be, or a Christian life. I don't think you can experience the fullness of those things outside of community. Now, of course, you can live a Christian life without community. You can. Can you be a Christian and not be a part of a community? Yes, absolutely. But it's not the best Christian life. It's like going to Firehouse Subs and not getting that Captain Sorensen sauce on your sub. You know what I'm talking about? Who goes to Firehouse? That red sauce they've got, Captain Sorensen, you're missing out. You're just eating a sub sandwich if you don't put that sauce on there. <laughs> if you go to Lupe and you don't get the beef fajitas, don't waste your time with chicken, anything else on the menu. You're, you're just hanging out at a Mexican restaurant, okay? If you go to the movies and you miss the coming attractions, I'm a big believer in the coming attractions, all right? Got to get there early, see the coming attractions, See, you're just going to the movies otherwise. I want you to understand, here's the deal. You've done all those things, but you haven't done them to the fullest. The best expression of each of those things includes these little things that end up adding and making the thing even better than just being there. We want to work our way into being a group of people that do things for people that we normally wouldn't do things for. And we do them as our new normal. We want to be a people, a community of people who look across socioeconomic lines, who look across life experience, who look across stage of life. And you're like, normally, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't hang. I wouldn't talk with you. I wouldn't be in your world. But I'm going to. And this is my new normal. My new normal is doing things for people I normally wouldn't do things for. That's Christian community. And I don't think you can experience the fullness of Christian life, of walking with Jesus through life, without walking with other people to Jesus. I think that those things go hand in hand for the best experience. So I want to summarize these verses in a sentence. You ready? We will, this is what I think Paul's saying. We will work toward holiness as we put on all of these virtues and we do everything that we do in every area of our life like we're doing it for Christ together. We're going to walk toward holiness. We're going to put on all these virtues that I've just listed, that Paul lists here. And we're going to do everything we do in every area of our life like we're doing it for Jesus together. 
that's how you're going to summarize the last part of Colossians right there, the last part of those verses. So very practically, you ready? How are you parenting? Didn't ask you what your kids are like, okay? Because kids can be stupid, screwy people. I'm asking how are you parenting? So if you rated yourself on a parenting scale of 1 to 10, okay? 1 is awful, okay? 10 is awesome. Where would you fall right now? How are you loving and leading and submitting to your spouse? I didn't ask you if your spouse was a jerk. I didn't ask you if your spouse has problems. I asked you, how are you loving them? How are you leading them? How are you submitting to them? Rate yourself in your head. One to ten. How are you helping the poor? How are you forgiving those who have hurt you? How is your, your biblical view of sex? That, appeal, that uh, applies both to the single Christian and the married Christian. How do you view human dignity and human value? I want you to understand those things that I just listed for you, these are things that set the early church apart. When our critics, when our first critics rose up in the first and second centuries, these are the things they complained about. That this group of Christ followers had a way of parenting that didn't fit with the social norm. That they had a way of living their lives, their households, their marriage relationships were different than our culture. That they helped poor people in a way that, that cultural people didn't. That they were forgiving to a fault. That they could love people who were awful and terrible to them. That they had a biblical view of sexuality that was radically different than the culture around them. Not kind of different, radically different than the culture around them, that they valued human life in a way that their culture didn't. And I can take you back and show you letters and show you correspondence between Roman officials in particular, and they're like, hey, I've got this group of people in my city, and they, they're, all they do is go out and help the poor, and they give stuff away all the time, and they live in a commune, and they love each other. What do I do with them? That's their complaints. The early church banded together, bound themselves together, and said, we're going to be different. We're going to pursue holiness in our communities together, so much so that their, their surrounding culture recognized the differences in them. And that's the thing that set them apart from other people. And listen, your community helps you understand and implement those things into your lives. It's in community that you go, man, I can't figure this out. My parents were messed up. They didn't know the Lord. Her parents were messed up. They didn't know the Lord. We're trying to build this thing on Jesus. I don't know how to do this. Can you guys show me? Can you tell me? Can you walk me through this? That's Christian community. Very, very practical. All these things, these virtues of life that we want to build into ourselves, these ways of holiness, these paths of holiness we want to build in, and it happens in communities. We speak these things into each other and help each other figure it out. So our community isn't perfect. If you're here this morning and you're like, okay, I'm still checking things off the list, Pastor Joe. I don't like your shirt today. That's a demerit. And uh, I don't like the fact that we started two minutes late today. Demerit. I'm not sure I'm into this community thing. Demerit. We're going to go to another church. Here's what I want to tell you about community here. We do it sloppily. And we do it messy. And we're not perfect. And we're going to drop the ball. And we're going to offend you. You ready? Is that good? I just sold you our church, I'm sure right? I'm in, right? Here's what we will do. We're not going to do this community thing perfectly. I don't think anybody will. If they sell you on that, they're lying, okay? 
I don't think we're going to do it perfectly, but what we will do is we will love you. Imperfectly and broken, but we will love you. And we will walk with you and accept you where you're at. We're going to make mistakes, and we're going to mess things up along the way, but we're going to do our absolute best to just receive you for the gift that you are from Jesus Christ. And we're going to do our best to walk with you. If you'll be patient with us and gracious toward our imperfections, we will with you and yours. I think the kingdom is worth it. Our children need to see this. Guys, you realize what world our kids are growing up in? And they need a community of people who they can come and be real with and who they can come and fight their spiritual battles with and wrestle with their faith with. They need to see us do this. They're going to do what we model for them. And if we're not living community, they're not going to live it either. And they need it more than ever. Our kids need to see that. We have to just embrace the messiness of relationship and community and the sacrifice that it takes and the commitment that it takes and the friendship that it brings our ways also. We have to make choices. We have to prioritize things in our lives. Some of us have prioritized things that argue against community. So there's a segment of our church this morning that I want to talk to you. I'm not going to call you out, certainly by name or even category. I'm hoping you're paying attention because I think this applies to a large group of our people. You ready for this? It's going to be so unpopular. I may not be here next week, so I'm going to throw it all out right now. Some of us have prioritized, I'm going to say it's either upward mobility or the fear of missing out to the degree that we will not live in community with other people. We can't. You're so afraid that you're going to miss something in life that you think you should have or must have in order to have a fulfilling life that you're cutting out the space that community needs. You're so intent on the next thing that might be the fulfilling thing that you're missing out on what's right here, right now, on the community that God's put you in right here. So I think that's something that some of us have to, we have to reprioritize our lives to allow the room and the space for community to come into our lives. I think that's one thing. Secondly, we have, some of us have this, we just want to have fun. Life is about fun. We want our kids to have fun. We're kind of addicted to adrenaline and risk and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think you, again, have to prioritize things. There's a place for that. I'm not going to, you know, rail against it. There's a place for it. We've just flipped our priorities around. I also don't think this is a zero-sum zero game. Wow, Pastor Joe said this morning I have to choose my family or I've got to choose work or I've got to choose my life or I've got to choose community and I can't have both of them. That's not what I'm saying. I do think there has to be some prioritization. Some of us have to make community and the sacrifice of community and giving to community and receiving community, we have to make it a priority. What I need you to understand, guys, listen, is that there's not a third option of having a community that feels like your family without the cost of limiting freedom to do what you want, when you want, how you want. Are y'all ready to receive that? There's not a way to make that happen. I can have everything in life that I want, and I can do anything in life that I want to, and have community that feels like family. Those two things begin to argue against each other at some point or another. There is a sacrificial element to living in community with each other where I give up a little bit here because of the great gains I'm going to get in a loving Christian community. It's just like a family, right? It's literally exactly like your family. 
You can't live your life any way you want to and expect to have a family life that is fulfilling. You have to make certain sacrifices in order to have the kind of family life that you want. Same thing is true in our Christian relationship, our loving community that we have with each other. So what should we be aiming at? If there's some unrealistic views of Christianity and there's pain that has come to some of us and we don't want to aim at that or a pagan view of love and relationship and we don't want any of that, what should we be aiming at? Our life group leaders, so we have our small groups, we call them our life groups. Over the last several months, they identified some things to help us as leaders probably know what we're aiming at a little bit better. And we want to share these things with you. Like, what are we aiming toward in our life groups? What are we trying to accomplish? Here we go. Support. We want to support one another in life. We want our life groups, our community groups, to be a place where we support each other. We come alongside one another in hard times, good times, whatever. We want to pray with one another and for one another. And in the middle of the week, if I have a job challenge or a job opportunity or a sick child or a sick parent or whatever it is, I want to get on the phone and go, hey, would you guys pray? So we're going to pray for one another. We want our small groups, community groups to be kind of integrated with the rest of the church. Whatever's going on with TSF, we want those things to be integrated there, safe and authentic. We want them to be safe places, a place where we can show up, and if it was a bad week, we can have a bad day with our life group and let them know and invite them into our world and our pain and suffering and struggles and whatever it is. We want it to be safe and authentic. We want to celebrate life. One of the coolest things about doing life together is that you get to celebrate the most awesome events in each other's lives. It's not all, you know, funerals and horrible things. Some of it's celebrations and graduations and marriages and babies being born and grandparents and all that stuff. And you get to walk through life with people. So we want to celebrate life well. And we promise as leaders to be consistent. We understand that maybe your inconsistency might have something to do with a leader's inconsistency. So our leaders are saying, man, we're going to be consistent and be best and better at being as consistent as we can in providing these environments. Now, that's us. What about the people that come? Everybody that comes to a life group, everybody that we want to see, what are you going to contribute, right? So here's the next list of things that we kind of came up with. You get to be engaged. Life group's not a place to come and observe. It's a place to come and to be engaged, to kind of understand that when you're there with us, you're there with us. You're in. You're giving yourself to the group. And we're going to give ourselves to you. So engagement, consistency, it's awesome that we can have a calendar and we can spit out dates and we can do all that. And then you're not there and you decide not to go and you're tired and Sunday nights, Sunday dinner, family time and all that. It's a bummer. I'm just telling you as a leader, it's a bummer. Okay? You need consistency. For you to build a relationship with somebody, you have to be around them. That's the way this works. Okay? So you have to be exposed to people on a regular basis. So you have to be consistent too. Uh, inviting. We want our people to be inviting that when new people come in or you're in this room and you're like, I know that person's not in a life group. I'm going to ask that person to come be part of my life group. We want you to be inviting for people all the time and then serving and giving. There probably isn't a better place if you want to serve in this church than to be in a life group. You're going to serve a lot. You're going to serve each other a lot and you're going to serve our church a lot. So it's a fantastic place to kind of learn about serving other people and giving yourself away to other people. So if, if you're asking me, Pastor Joe, what should we be looking for in Christian community, specifically here, this is it. This is what we want our groups to look like, and this is what we want our, our participants to look like, okay? So that's the, a good positive thing, I think, that you can all put on your radars and sort of drive toward, because we want to be this family of faith that we talk about that 
gives love to people and lives hope for other people. We talk about that sometimes. And in our small groups, our life groups, we want to love each other well in biblical community. We want to see those things happen. So that's what you can sort of set your heart and mind toward if you're looking for a goal or an aim in your community life. So I'm just going to end with this. This, this church matters. The church matters. Community mat- matters. For all of us who have a little bit of Justin Bieber theology in us, and church is an option, it's something we can add on if we want to. Community is okay, but I don't necessarily have to have it. For all of us who kind of carry a little bit of that around in us, I would just say again, it's not possible to live the fullness of Christian life without community. Now, some of us are so stubborn, right now you're thinking, I can. I'm the exception to that rule. In all of Christianity, 2,000 years, I'll go back further than that, when Jesus or when God called a people to himself, back to Abraham and Sarah, neither one of them were by themselves with God. You're going to say, but I'm the exception. I don't need Christian community. Man, I just want to challenge you with a couple of things. Doesn't our world need a church that looks like this? Not like this, but like that loves each other really well. Doesn't our church, I mean, our world need a church like that? Doesn't the world need a church that's marked by truly, truly loving each other? So here's my, here's my question. I want you to think about this room, and I mean that specifically. This room, people that come here on some kind of regular basis, who do you love in here? I didn't ask who you know. I didn't ask who you like. I'm asking who do you love? Who do you love in this room? Doesn't our church need, I mean, our world need a church that's marked by love? where we really, truly love one another? That we really challenge and we truly encourage one another? Who are you encouraging in here? Some of you, I asked, who do you love? And you thought of somebody that encourages you, that gives you what you need. Now I'm asking you, who are you encouraging? Who are you speaking life to in this room? We need to truly accept people and love people who are different than you. Doesn't the world need a church? that does that? Doesn't our world need a church that truly accepts people, that really, truly loves people for who they are? So let me ask you again, who are you accepting? And maybe, I'm just telling you, I think if you ask that question, honestly, sometimes we'll look at ourselves and we're like, I accept people who accept me. And I accept people who look like me and act like me and talk like me and walk like me. Who are you accepting? Christian church, Christian community is marked by accepting people who are not like me. Doesn't our culture, doesn't Fort Bend County, doesn't Richmond Rosenberg and Sugarland, don't we need a church that represents Christ well instead of giving them a reason to not go to church? Don't you all need Christian friendship? Wouldn't all of us kind of say, man, I, I need a Christian friend? That happens in Christian community. We have to give ourselves to it. Tim Keller wrote a book, Prodigal God. Some of you read it. He says this, Christians commonly say they want a relationship with Jesus, that they want to get to know Jesus better. He says you will never be able to do that by yourself. You must be deeply involved in the church and Christian community with strong relationships of love and accountability. Only if you are part of a community of believers seeking to resemble, serve, and love Jesus will you ever get to know him and grow into his likeness. That's how this happens. How do you grow up? How do you become this Christian that you want to be? In community. 
in a loving community with other believers who in their brokenness are seeking holiness together. I want to end with this same passage read from the message version. He says, so you're chosen by God for this new uh, life of love. He says, dress in the wardrobe that God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail of your lives, your words, your actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master, Jesus. Thanking God, the Father, every step of the way. Man, that's awesome. God, I pray that you would make us a community of loving believers. And as much as we may have been hurt in the past, and as much as we have reasons why we shouldn't or why we can't or why it's hard, God, I pray that we would begin to grasp and then uh, maybe adopt the understanding, the deep conviction in my heart that to grow in my Christian faith happens in community. It happens with other people that I love and I'm giving myself to. Father, I want to thank you for community in the past. I do. I want to thank you that you gave Mindy and I some of this over the years. But God, I look forward to community going forward. And I look forward to all the people in here who need to give themselves to somebody, who need to be loved, who need to love others, who need to see Christian community. So that as the world looks at us, they don't look at us like a a reason to not go to church. They look at us and they go, wow, if church is like that, I'd like to be a part of that too.